Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Bend. I'm here with my co-host Corey Robinson. And today we're joined by the MSU resident expert on all things basketball, David Klein. David, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks so much for having me on today. We're a week away from college hoops kicking off. Michigan State gets to be, you know, kind of that premier event in the Champions Classic. And yep. uh, I'm starting to get juiced, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's all almost around the corner. And I know the uh, football team has a lot of juice right now, but with uh, some of this excitement around the basketball team, it's also kind of reaching that, that anxiety of can't wait to find out what this team is like. I know coming into the football season, Corey and I were very, very cautiously optimistic on what this team could be, even though national media uh, didn't really have that same viewpoint with the four win Vegas projection. And personally, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting with the basketball team. I don't know if they will um, exceed expectations to this huge of a degree as the football team, but I find myself disagreeing with kind of the narrative and Michigan State not being ranked. And I can understand why they're not ranked because the way last year ended and you kind of have to earn it. But is is that fair to say? Is that kind of your take on the Michigan State hoops team? Is they're going to come out and surprise some people? I've used the word cautiously optimistic so many times this offseason. I'm getting to the point where I'm extremely excited to actually talk about a live game so we can right. analyze it and, and start getting to some of the meat and potatoes. Uh, but I do I do think that there's a lot to like about what happened, uh, both with the addition and the attrition that occurred on the roster. I think if you're just kind of looking, you know, why should Michigan State be better next year when they lose their primary scorer in Aaron Henry, one of their better defenders? Um, and then, you know, they really get a little bit younger in some regards, obviously another year for some of the guys, but some of the important pieces are younger. So why is that going to translate? And I guess my biggest point that I would, you know, kind of look at is uh, Josh Langford, Rocket Watts, and Aaron Henry collectively took uh, just under 50% of the three-point shots last season. It is one of the worst three-point shooting teams that Izzo has ever had. Uh, they collectively, those three shot 30%, despite taking 50% of the shots. That's off the roster and you're replacing it now with Gabe Brown, who shot above 40%, in my opinion, should have played a lot more last year. Obviously, we can get into that. And then Max Christie, who's a high IQ, long range bomber, who I think is going to be a guy that can shoot, you know, upper 30s, maybe even into the 40s. So that's kind of your base on what you're replacing on the wings. I think at the very least, the optimism that I have is in large part because I think that this is going to be a much better shooting team than it finished last season. I believe they finished 13 out of 14th in the conference from beyond the arc. And it's just really difficult. All the rest of life gets extremely uh, crowded, particularly in the paint when these guys uh, don't have the space to operate because nobody's putting that pressure on the perimeter. For me, I guess I, I definitely see that too, and I agree with that. But I think the biggest reason for optimism for me of why I think Michigan State will have a better year than last year, despite losing uh, Henry, is that they have point guards now and in the college game. And I mean, basketball in general, point guard is the key position. But just taking an exhibition game, you could just see the difference of how much quicker the ball was getting back up the court, like a traditional Tom Izzo offense and getting the ball out in the right time, stuff like that, uh, that we just probably took for granted where last year you spent so much time trying to force Rocket Watson to being something he wasn't a point guard and setting up guys. That just wasn't 
I guess I'd, I never felt he looked comfortable doing that where you get a guy like Tyson Walker, uh, where he's just a comfortable setting up the offense and getting guys involved and getting that hit ahead. And I see that playing out huge for a guy like maybe Madi Sasako, who he's not going to score a lot of traditional baskets, but once he can run as good as any big in the country. So if he can get that, get that run out with a guy like Walker, or AJ Hogard, uh, being able to get that hit ahead, that could be huge for the offense just to get some of those fast break points again. Yeah. It can't, it can't be understated how, you know, how difficult the season was in large part because the point guard position was just an absolute disaster. I mean, they put a lot of eggs in the Kareem Mane basket when he decided to go pro, doesn't get drafted. Uh, it was kind of a situation where it was like, okay, what do we do now? Then there's no off season. So the ability to even try to transition Rocket Watts into the point guard spot was largely not able to be done because of the way that COVID had affected basically the off season. You know, all we hear is, you know, foster lawyers vastly improved. I think that we all kind of knew what we were going to see as soon as we got into big 10 conference play, you know, just physically and athletically not capable of playing at this level. So we run into a situation where AJ Hogard has a minor knee scope before the season starts. He misses a couple of weeks right into the practice. Then he's thrown into the fire. Then he's taken out of the starting lineup Then he's back in it. You know, it was just anything that could possibly go wrong in the point guard position did last season. And when you don't have the head of the snake to organize the offense, I think what you saw over and over again is Michigan State in some tighter games early on in the season. And then again at the end against UCLA, you're up five points in that spot with, you know, I think it was a minute 30 left. A point guard is going to take you to the promised land there. If you have somebody to organize you, to settle down the offense, to get good looks, it's just a completely different team uh, than what we saw last year. And I, I'm really surprised what we saw from AJ Hogard. I, I've long believed Tyson Walker when I went and saw him at the open practice was clearly the go-to guy. Um, but I do think that AJ Hogard really showed me something just in this early on against Ferris state. He looks more nimbler. He looks more confident. He hit that little elbow pull up. If yep. he can just hit that at like somewhere around 40%, I don't really want him taking threes. He took that one bad one that led to a layup and an Izzo timeout in the exhibition game. I think that what we'll see is if he makes the right decisions with the ball, he had four assists to one turnover, and he just takes the shots that are within his wheelhouse. He's really going to be a nice, comfortable one-two punch with Walker, who I think really just can can elevate the entire ceiling of the rest of the team with ability to not only score but operate in the pick-and-roll situations this season. Yeah, for sure. And the thing about it is is a lot of people got – down on Hogard last year when he was a true freshman and didn't have a real off season, didn't have a real strength and conditioning summer. Some of these guys last year that people kind of formed opinions on during the COVID year, they are kind of around college football, college basketball, just in general are starting to kind of surprise people that formed opinions of them too early. And he was a guy that was hindered by his physique a lot. He was kind of coming in a little bloated and he's a guy that is a pass first kind of pushing the ball type, but not really, um, not really a scorer. So for him to be nimbler and push the offense forward and get the ball out quicker, I think that is going to be huge for the offense. Like you were saying, and a lot of people are going to, they're going to understand that they were a little hasty with making assertions about Hogard's entire career arc based on an off season where he was working out by himself and not getting that Izzo hands-on treatment. So 
that is definitely a storyline to watch. And Michigan State could go from having basically zero point guards to now having two legitimate distributors. And I know just watching Tyson Walker in the exhibition game, when the ball was in his hands, it seemed like the entire offense moved up the court just at a much quicker pace than last year. He was just gliding out there. And I get it was fair state, but there's just something about how natural he looked pushing the ball up and just going from his own three-point line to the MSU three-point line in like four steps, seeing guys like Gabe Brown and Malik Hall kind of fill out the, the, the corners. And it just felt like a much more natural Michigan State basketball team. So I guess... DK, what do you kind of see being the biggest direct impact of Tyson Walker's addition? I know one thing you'll probably talk about is how it can make Joey Hauser better. So yeah, yeah. so kind of kind of dive into the the impacts of how that'll spill over into specific parts of the offense. Yeah, I think obviously Joey Hauser is going to be the largest beneficiary of better point guard play. He's a guy to me that needs to get rhythm threes. And I think you could say the same to a certain degree about Gabe Brown. He's not a guy that's really ever going to put it on the deck and create his own shot. And he's got a little bit of that jab step where he squares a guy up and hits one. But he really is a guy that needs to get out and transition to get open looks. He's a guy that um, can attack closeouts in transition because he's running the floor. And I think that what you're going to see, as you alluded to, is the transition offense is just going to be so much better with both point guards at the helm. You're going to get out. You're going to get better looks. And as a result, the offense is just going to look much more natural. But in terms of what Walker brings, maybe even to a slight degree better than Hogard, it's really going to be what he can do in the half court. I think what we saw, you know, to a certain degree with Cassius Winston, after Nick Ward went down and they really didn't have a go low post option, which this team, again, not, what they essentially did is they set a high pick and roll with him and Tillman, and they just pick and roll teams to death, and they let Cash kind of operate and make decisions whether to shoot it, whether to get downhill all the way in the paint, whether to pass it. I think Tyson Walker is going to have to find that. And we saw Izzo, you know, a little frustrated with a couple early turnovers in transition. Um, he did turn it over. I think he had five assists to maybe three turnovers. He needs to, to hone some of that down. But I think as he gets more comfortable operating, what you're going to see is him get into the middle of the paint and defenses are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to stop the guy that's capable of scoring in the mid-range, that's capable of scoring at the rim, that can pull up from a three off the dribble, or are they going to uh, hug tight onto the shooter? So I think what you can see is as the offense gets going and he gets more comfortable, he's going to be able to find guys into rhythm spots, pick and pop actions with Joey Hauser. He's going to be getting downhill. Guys will be rising up on the wings and you're going to be able to see some of the wing shooters get a little bit better open looks. I just think again, when you're looking generally at how this team can take a step forward, the shooting is going to be much better as a result of the pressure that Tyson Walker is capable of putting on a team, not only in the transition, but also in the half court setting. Yeah. And then I guess I'd add just a tiny little thing too of the Tyson Walker part is uh, his ability to play defense. Uh, just cause I mean, last year I thought, Rocket Watts had a lot more potential to be a good defender, but defense, I guess, is a want to thing. And there's a lot, a lot of lack of want to on times where he, you would just see a guy blow by him that had no business blowing by him that easy. So I think uh, that that'd be another huge impact from the point guard position is you'll at least get better defense out of Walker for sure. And, and I think even Hogard will at least be able to give you a, a much better effort. And with his, uh, 
losing his weight and getting a little faster. I think uh, both point guards could uh, lock down on that side too. I think that's a good point. And maybe the one question that kind of, as we enter into the season, who's going to be kind of that lockdown wing guy. Like, I think they have a pretty good on ball defense with the two of them. I think Jaden Akins is a guy that can come in off the bench and give you some of that at, you know, like the off ball situation. He's a guy that's laterally extremely quick, vertically explosive. You know, I liked what he did in the exhibition game. He only went one for six from the field. But his very first play that he checked into the game, he goes up in traffic, grabs an offensive rebound, doesn't force the shot up, kicks it out, they get a good look. And then the very next play on defense, he blocks a shot. I think that really kind of encompasses what he can bring in a nutshell. Um, He played next to Kennedy Chandler last year, who was the number one point guard, went to Tennessee at sunrise. He kind of came late into that situation because of the Monty Bates debacle at uh, Ypsilanti Prep. And so when he transitioned to that, he kind of had to play a different role than he's accustomed to. He's had the ball in his hands a lot. And I think what you saw is him grow into the ability to be able to impact the game without the ball. And as he gets more comfortable, he's more capable of making shots and his offensive repertoire grows. Uh, He's just going to explode. He's a guy that I'm I'm really, really high on. Uh, Obviously, Max Christie being, you know, the guy that we're all going to be talking about, but Jaden Akins is going to be right there, I think, by the end of the season as a guy that I think is going to increase the ceiling for this team. Yeah, he's got a lot of want to. Also, like, uh, there not very many high school players that you see want to be great defenders, and uh, Akins is definitely that for sure. DK, how much did it help the Michigan State basketball program when Jaden Akins didn't throw Monty Bates that pass in transition? because <laughs> Jaden Akins Jaden Akins going down to Sunrise Christian uh, having to play off the ball next to Kennedy and learning how to be a very versatile off ball guard I think is going to be a huge key a huge I thought key you were going to... by an addition by subtraction thing there uh, for a second <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess that too but um, <laughs> just just like the the role he played at Sunrise is going to be almost exactly the role that Michigan State's going to need him to play this year. So I think that is just, it was a blessing in disguise when that kind of all went down, in my opinion. You're 100% right. And I think that what the staff has said all offseason is they kind of knew what they were going to maybe getting out of Jaden Akins. And then he came onto campus and he, of maybe anybody, has surprised them. Um, obviously, they've spoken glowingly about Max Christie. We'd be remiss not to just state kind of what his presence was. Uh, the second leading scorer in the exhibition game, he was efficient. Um, I think it was only one for three from three. He took kind of a couple shots, you know, late in the shot clock and then won a couple off the dribble. But he got downhill, which is maybe my largest question for him. Can he consistently get downhill and finish through contact at the Big Ten level? He looked really comfortable, obviously, against a lesser opponent doing so. And then the thing that really surprised me and I didn't see coming was how aggressive he was on the glass on both sides. Oh, yeah. I think he finished with maybe four rebounds, but I bet he was in the mix for eight to nine and had had an influence on Michigan State grabbing several more. If you're looking at maybe one kind of scary, like, oh, this is one thing to keep the pulse on because I'm a little bit worried about it. I would say it's the defensive rebounding due to the center spot. I, I don't obviously think the center spot played extremely well, and I guess maybe we can dip into that. But if you're looking at, okay, how can we ensure that we're limiting teams to single possessions. You're going to need to rebound from the wing. Aaron Henry leaving is a huge loss in that regard. He led the team in total rebounds last season. 
Uh, Joey Hauser was number two. So you're going to need a wing to rebound. Gabe Brown's always been kind of that leak out guy that gets out early in transition to get himself going. But Max Christie kind of showed early on he's comfortable grabbing it and then he can turn and go and start the fast break, right? which I think is another underrated thing. Like for a guy that's a, a five star, the number one shooting guard in the country, he really has kind of come in under the radar. And I don't know if that's just as a result of being at Michigan State or what. Um, but it, it's just odd to me that there's really not much chatter surrounding him. I think Sam Bassini is the lone guy that I've seen yep. had had him mocked in kind of like the fringe lottery pick. Yep. I mean, what's not to like? He's six six, he's lengthy, he can shoot it, he moves well. Like he's exactly where the NBA is going. And my first thought when we watch that game is you know, I hope that we get him for two years. And after that, I thought to myself, we'll be lucky to get him two years. Yeah. And so enjoy what he brings this season, because I don't think that he's long for the green light. Yeah. And I came into that game uh, just thinking like, okay, this kid's going to score in bunches, but he's kind of like suburban Illinois, not like the hardest competition. Is he going to have the aggressiveness you need uh, on defense and on the glass? And then like literally four trips down the court, I, my fear had shifted to, is he going to be aggressive enough to, is he going to roll his ankle jumping up on top of all these fair state centers landing awkwardly? Like this dude just came over there and was determined to kind of put his stamp uh, on the rebounding game. And he was just jumping among those power forwards and centers of Ferris. And I, what I saw from Max Christie, it's hard to overstate um, because he he just has it all and you kind of start to complement this facet of his game and then you move into another facet and you're like okay he's probably going to be the best on the team in that regard then you start it's he's just a guy that really does have it all and to see him not be consistently mocked in that 10 through 16 range is kind of surprising but I mean the game is played on the court not in the paper before not on the paper before the season starts but He's just the guy that like you try hard to find a flaw so that you don't overexcite yourself. And then you kind of struggle to do so the more you watch him play. I agree. I, th- I think it was, I was just kind of surprised at how well he looked defensively too. Mm-hmm. Like I was wondering like physically, is he going to hold up well laterally? We need to see it against better athletes. And obviously Kansas is a very good test for that. But I think if you're just looking at initial pause, like he got his hands on a couple balls, he deflected. He looked much longer than I saw him in a lot of film. I just thought he was, he did a good job kind of on the ball, getting his hands in the lane. Just generally, I, I was really impressed, obviously, with his performance and just the way he looked. Uh, competition aside, I think that the way guys move, the way the guys are getting buckets, the way that they're shooting and scoring, I think that that does matter and translates when you're going to play better teams. So I'm curious to see what he looks like against this GVSU, if he can repeat a similar performance. Uh, we haven't really even talked about Gabe Brown, who ended up leading the team in scoring, like shot the ball extremely well. I think three for four from deep, ran the floor well, brought the energy. I thought he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start, and then he just kind of snapped into it and looked like a guy that could maybe make an all-conference team this season. Corey, yeah. and, you yeah, know. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, so we closely – follow football recruiting Mm -hmm. and we saw mal tucker use the portal we saw him create scholarship spots and you saw him fill them that is how roster building should work right you would agree correct okay 
So tell me, why am I crazy to be borderline furious about the fact that Michigan State basketball is coming into the season banking two scholarship spots? Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, Steve Smith wasn't uh, good for the money for tuition this year, so he wanted to do him a favor. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think there there is clearly some things you could have done there, even if you just go get some guy that can run and defend and give you some fouls if nothing else I mean you got to get that and then obviously if you could have found just kind of a a wing that can three and d type of guy and if he works he works if he doesn't oh well you just get the scholarship back next year but yeah I thought that was really puzzling to kind of okay uh, yeah just leave that open right so DK now you please try to tell me why I'm wrong for (laughs) being irate about this so I'll counter it. Obviously, you know, he brought in the two walk-ons. One who's we, out we've for the year. News, I guess. Yes, Jason Whitens or Whitens. I'm not right. quite sure how to say it. I didn't yeah. catch that. But Whitens. I think he was the guy that maybe was going to play spot minutes. It sounds yeah. like he's going to be out for the season. He kind of had like an awkward layup attempt and his knee kind of wobbled a little bit. And he yeah. fell. I wonder if that was it. And I don't want to speculate, obviously, but I, it looked to me like maybe he hurt himself on that play. Yeah, um, I think his so, MCL gave out when he tried to Euro step around the guy. Yeah. So I, I guess the flip side of that is I always wanted to see Pierre Brooks earn those like backup five minutes because that's really what you're probably going to need him for. I, I agree to a certain extent that if you look at the depth at the wing spot, mostly the small forward spot, you're a little concerned because if you have a Gabe Brown or Max Christie injury, I'm knocking on wood right now, God forbid that happens during the season, you get extremely thin at that position. I think Jaden Akins is a guy that can come in and before long, he's going to be pressing guys for minutes at that two spot. So if he was to come in, you know, maybe the floor gets a little bit lower to start the season, but eventually I think he catches up at that spot and you're going to be able to fill in some of what you need. So not necessarily a terrible thing there. My counterpoint to this would be last year, Izzo had Watts, Langford, Brown. He didn't know what to do with the two spot. He couldn't figure out the rotation the least bit. All we did was complain about how he couldn't make a decision on a rotation. This season, Brown and Christie are going to play pretty close to 30 minutes and maybe above it for Brown. Like There's no looking over the shoulder, wondering who's going to come take those minutes. Brown especially is a guy that's constantly had to look over his shoulder. That's not going to happen this season. So while I do agree with you, at the end of the day, you probably want this rotation to be eight to nine guys deep. And what you're going to be able to get out of that is a rotation that's going to play more minutes together. And those two guys in particular, Christian Brown, are probably the two guys that you want to play the most minutes anyways. So filling in behind him, you're going to have Aikens play a little bit. If you got to play Malik Hall for a few spot minutes at the small forward spot, I think you can get away with that. If you need to play, you know, Pierre Brooks for a couple spot minutes, I think you can get away for it. And long-term, the benefit for that is him needing to probably play as a sophomore and obviously into his upperclassman years. So he's going to have to grow up a little quicker that way. So I think that there's pluses and minuses. If one of those two guys go down, it, it's going to be, you know, just uproarious about the reason he didn't fill that spot. And I don't necessarily disagree, but if everyone can stay healthy, 
I actually am pretty happy that there's just a clear cut rotation at that spot. And there's really no concern about playing a guy who maybe doesn't deserve it or is an inferior player minutes for the sake of, you know, like teaching a lesson or, you know, X, Y, and Z, which we, we have a tendency to see Izzo doing. So I think long-term it's good as long as everyone can stay healthy. Yeah, yeah I, that's true. I mean, that, that, and I mean, if you look at it, maybe he had a better feel for the Max Christie than, than we did. Cause I, I thought like, I knew he was good. I, I think I told Justin, I thought he was the best scorer and the best shooter as those brought in out of high school. Uh, but I thought he looked even better just uh, than I expected. He just moves differently at like how much ground he can cover on one bounce and just his ability to get to the basket uh, kind of, caught me off guard even a little bit even though I had him pretty high on my my board yeah I, I think yeah you're right the clarity is definitely a welcome sight after last year and guys like Gabe um will be able to kind of grow past their mistakes as opposed to immediately getting benched and mentally he'll be more at peace probably too with the structure but um I guess, so I'm not advocating for there to be like an impact player brought in at at the wing, like a Marcus Carr or somebody like that. But I guess my stance on it was if you're Michigan State and you're Tom Izzo, you can get kids to come here that will come here just because of the brand, just to go to Michigan State, just to be coached by Tom Izzo, that are going to be okay playing limited minutes. So instead, if you're worried about maybe upsetting the team rotation or the locker room chemistry, like I actually heard that was one of the concerns of why they don't over pursue the portal. Uh, what I would have done is I would just find some kid from, I don't know, the horizon league and make sure that he's a kid that can probably play anywhere from like eight to 12 minutes and won't expect or get upset if he doesn't play more than that. And just kind of have that security blanket of if Gabe Brown uh, picks up three first half fouls one day, um, as if the auto benching would even allow for that. But so if if there were, that would happen, like you can have somebody there that is better than Whitens that could come in and play some minutes. But um, yeah, like I feel like it could have been handled in a way where you get someone that's not too good that upsets the team chemistry, but still good enough that he's worthy of going on scholarship and not just being a really good walk on, but yeah, I mean, it, and, and foul trouble too, because right. once you get into big 10 play and just the amount of fouls college basketball calls, you, know, you, you kind of feel a lot more comfortable uh, having, uh, you know, some extra bodies there. Cause you get into some of those games where the whistle just gets absolutely ridiculous and, then then you're gonna be having a lineup with Steven Izzo at the three and that's <laughs> that's a you want to try to keep his minutes at the point guard <laughs> but, but but yeah I, I I guess yeah we we kind of beat that topic into the ground but yeah I, I I can see that it not um not being a major issue if there's no injuries and maybe maybe they'll lose one or two games of foul trouble purpose because of foul trouble purposes but um, yeah, I, if there's no injuries, I, I guess it, it might not be an issue. But if there I guess are you could injuries, always adapt and play two guard lineups. I guess is the point, right? True. If you only have one of the small forward options to you. You can slide either Christie at the small forward or Brown. You know, depending on how it goes, and and even insert Tyson to play next to AJ Hogarth, which we didn't see in the exhibition game, but something possible. Yeah. Same with Aiken. Cool. So. 
I think there is some flexibility there. What's your thought on uh, Malik Hall in an emergency? Do you see him being able to play three, or do you think he's strictly a four? Yeah, I do think that he can play it. I guess my, you know, the one thought regarding that is, is his shooting going to be good enough to be able to consistently play it? Probably not. I do think that he took a step last year. Pardon me. But, but in an emergency, like you yeah, a hundred percent. I think he's going to play a few spot minutes, anyways. To me, he's a guy that I think can create from the perimeter. He's shown the ability to do that. He kind of did it uh, last game where he had the top of the key behind the back, and then he he drove into the lane, drove two defenders, and then dished it to Bingham for that dunk. He's a guy that can play make a little bit, that can create a little bit. You know, he's not like the the fastest or the vertically you know most gifted athlete. He's just really solid. And I think that I like what he brings is the glue piece that defends, that rebounds, that hustles. It's always in the right spots. I wasn't surprised that he was named a captain on this team because I think he's just one of those guys that is everything that you need at the right moments. And, and he, he can do it. So the, the short answer is yes. In some spot minutes, I think he can fill in for that small forward spot. It's not ideal unless he shows maybe he can consistently hit like 35, 36% from three with a little bit more volume. He just hasn't taken enough shots yet for me to be able to make that decision. But if he shoots, you know, 60, 70 threes and he shoots 35, 36% from both either the three or the four spot this year, he's going to be a guy that's really hard to take off the floor. I think. I have to come clean. I was hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray and flat out deceived by Tom Izzo once again, hyping up Marcus Bingham this off season, him saying, that the light finally went on. I don't know. For some reason, I bought that. And um, he also had kind of alluded to the fact that he was going to tighten up the center rotation and that it was going to be uh, Marky and Julius with um, Madi kind of playing his way in down the road. Um, and that also kind of gave me some hope that maybe that is derived from Marcus Bingham really having the light come on, like Izzo had said before that. Then... Then Tom Izzo said that AJ Hogard runs the break better than anyone since Mateen Cleaves. And then I started to wonder, okay, is, is this the Tom Izzo giving us the runaround in the preseason type deal? And then the exhibition game started. And uh, I don't know. I kind of saw the same old Marcus Bingham. DK, do you agree with that? I mean, I have always been a proponent of Marcus Bingham. I've carried a lot of water for him over the years. I think last year I was beating the drum, and I do think that he deserved more minutes, particularly when oh, Thomas Kithier sure. was, was starting and playing 15 minutes per game. I thought that was absolutely ludicrous what they did at the position. Mm-hmm. I was so disappointed in his first performance, and I'm not going to go crazy on it because I think that he's going to watch that film and realize kind of how he looked. The defensive rebounding was awful. The rim protection was non-existent and he settled for threes nonstop during the game. I know he's never going to be a low post player, but get your ass near the block and finish some dunks and lobs every once in a while. Um, I think he's allotted one to two threes a game. If you hit the first one, you can take the second. If you miss two threes, he shouldn't be allowed to take another one the rest of the game. I buy the form. He hit that long range two, kind of from the top of the key. I think he can bring some stuff. I think he honestly is one of the better big defenders in the league. He didn't look like any of that uh, in that that first exhibition game. He's probably the guy I'm going to look forward to watching the most against GBSU. I know that's a little contradictory watching him against an (laughs) exhibition team. But if he doesn't show me something, block two or three shots, like look hungry defensively and like look engaged the entire game, 
I'm going to start hitting a little bit of the panic button because Maddie Sissoko, the guy who played the least amount of minutes uh, of the three of them, looked the best by and far in that game, particularly defensively. Like if you're looking at what this team needs at the at the five spot, it's a guy that can play defense against, you know, some of the country's best big men, you know, five or, you know, if you want to say five or six out of the top, maybe seven or eight guys in this league are at the center spot. If Marcus Bingham's not going to be able to give it to you, Julius Marble is not, in my opinion, physically capable of defending a Hunter Dickinson, a Kofi Coburn, you know, Trayon Williams. He's just not big, tall enough or long enough. It's not anything that he's really going to be able to do. Matty Sissoko is going to have to play. I mean, th- that there's no getting around that to me. He physically is the most gifted of the three. He's the best defensive rebounder. And even though he's extremely raw, you don't need anything from that center position, but solid defense and rebounding and an occasional flush finish. I think any way you look at it, the center spot between any of those three should really be the fifth offensive option on the floor. So you need a guy to set a good screen, roll to the rim, and if he gets a chance to finish around the rim. That's really what you need out of that position. And if Marcus Bingham can't give it to you, I'm very, very dubious that Julius Marble will ever be able to give you the defense that you need in this particular league. You have got to start playing Matty Sissoko more minutes because I thought even in game one in this exhibition, he showed flashes of just the, the extreme athlete and the extreme physically gifted player that he is. Yeah, I agree with you. I think and just the way the game of basketball is played right now, uh, I don't think, and even I guess we can take it even up another level and look at the roster makeup. I don't think you need points from the five that much anymore. If you are getting it from other places, you got Hauser who can get you the the points and the paint, all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think Sissoko needs to play way more. Uh, let him just defend because I think he's a guy that can defend all of those uh, centers that you're talking about. He's just got to stay out of foul trouble. And then uh, like we mentioned earlier about being able to run and push the break. I mean, that's kind of his thing. Even if he gets a rebound and takes off, there's a good chance he's still going to beat his man down the court and get an opportunity for that hit ahead. And, you know, those are the points that you need to steal from the five position, in my opinion, with the talent that you have, in your hands with those three one thing that always kind of surprised me about Bingham is with him not being able to put on any weight and remaining skinny you would think he would be much more athletic than than he really is like if in an ideal world you have a center that's underweight you would think that a high screen and roll would he would just be blowing off the block and getting to the basket and catching some alley-oop dunks and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just haven't seen that from him. Yeah, and I, I guess I add this one on to your plate too, uh, DK. Wasn't he pretty short growing up and had a, a growth spurt where he should have had some guard skills and lateral movement better than he does? So we'll add that to your question too, DK. Yeah, that he did. He, did, he shot up, I think, maybe sophomore year. I mean, in terms of putting on the weight, I just don't think his frame's ever going to allow it until it's, you know, too late. I mean, they're putting 5,000 plus calories into his body and he's gained, you know, X amount of weight over the years. I think that he did make the commitment from everything that we heard in the offseason to the weight room, to the conditioning. To me, it's really just mentally. I think that he has got to buy in on the defensive end this year. He's got to understand that his most significant impact can be on that end. And to me, it's a switch that just flips on and off. 
We've seen it maybe even a little bit in Gabe Brown. And I think that this season we're going to finally see that switch like on 98% of the time, but Bingham too frequently has the switch turned off or a play happens and, you know, he's just out of it then for like the next three or four. He's a guy that needs to start having a shorter memory. I thought the leash was actually pretty decent. He took three threes. He never got yanked for any of the shots that he took. You know, like he had a reasonably long leash that first exhibition game, and that probably is going to help somewhat with confidence. He's just got to buy in, though. you got to buy in. And, you know, I, I'm, I think that maybe I'm going to give it like the first three or four games of the season. If he can't come out and give you like at least a majority of like really strong performances where he's playing 16 to 20 minutes a night and he's really giving you a defensive impact – like, I don't want to see this a rotation like we had last year where we're playing instead of four guys, now it's three and they can't make up their mind who should be in for where. Like, there's just no rhythm or flow for that. You got to play your highest upside guy. That's, as I said before, Maddie Sissoko for me. I don't know. I think that the one concern that I have is when you get out of the conference, you're going to be fine. You're not going to need a dominant big. The problem is in this particular conference, it's really unfortunate not to have a guy that can get you an easy two. There's obviously one on the way in Jackson Kohler. I think that that recruitment was a very, very big land for the sole purpose of he's a guy that can go get you two easy points on the block. And Michigan State hasn't really had that since Nick Ward left the program. So for me, I just think that you got to get defense and rebound out of the position no matter what happens. And the decision to play that rotation of the three of them has to be decided much earlier on the season than what we saw last year when there's literally just a carousel between that position and there was no rhyme or rhythm and nobody really ever felt comfortable at that. So whatever is decided, it, he just needs to pick two guys, in my opinion, stick with them for the longer minutes, and the third guy ends up getting less. Yes, yeah, speaking of Jackson Kohler, that was – Tom Izzo deserves a lot of credit there because after kind of striking out on Isaac Trout and – um Jaden shoot the class as a whole was was looking rough and Ty Rogers at the time was trending uh, out of state where he might still end up but at that point it was much worse uh, odds with him but then Jackson Kohler was offered and within a week of him being offered he finalized plans for him to make a trip to East Lansing um, he made that trip and shortly after he committed to Michigan State and he's a guy that uh, he has, like you were saying, the ability to just get some points on the low block. His footwork is there. Um, and people were making some lazy comparisons to like Thomas Kithier, but like there's no similarities in their game whatsoever. And uh, most importantly, he has clout. Uh, LeBron James posted his uh, commitment edit uh, on his story. And uh, over time, Slam Magazine, Ball's Life, all these guys have been giving him uh, tons of praise. Uh, he had a 53-point performance at the Pangos uh, Invitational, I think, out in Vegas. So I, I kid about that, the clout being the most important. But You're only partially kidding. We know you, <laughs> we know you follow that stuff. <laughs> you, you got it. Branding is key. That's how you're going to get the next center right after Kohler. But no, it's, it's, it's huge what Izzo was able to do uh, at the end of well, it's not the end of the cycle, but but when the cycle was more than halfway finished and people like me were complaining that he hadn't uh, spread the net wide enough and he had put all his eggs in the Isaac Trout basket in the front court, he proved me wrong and got one of the most polished scoring bigs in the entire class. So 
uh, just very excited for Kohler to get here next, next season for sure. And obviously his teammate for, I don't know, for a few weeks uh, until he left the program, <laughs> Braylon Green. Has he left or not? I don't know if that's ever been formally. He, he tweeted that he was no longer attending there, and now I don't know the answer to that. Have you gotten a formal confirmation that he's no longer with Southern California? I No, I didn't reach out and try to get confirmation that he left. I just took him at his word since, since he kind of said he wasn't attending. But what I did kind of piece together is with him being able to visit so frequently uh, since that tweet. So he was... Uh, still, t- he still took an unofficial visit, even though he had to cancel his official visit because of his dad's COVID. Um, he was quickly able to pivot to make that an unofficial where the family obviously would have to pay for such a visit. That tells me he's kind of local. And the fact that he, uh, like you kind of mentioned to me that the, the next, uh, the rescheduled official visit could be soon. This kind of tells me he's hanging around the area. So maybe he'll remain in the state of Michigan and possibly play high school basketball in the mitten state again. Yeah. I, I think that probably he wants to go and play at a prep school. Um, I think that similar to Jay Nakins and a lot of these other guys that you've seen leave the state, you know, Ty Rogers just did that recently to go down and play in Illinois. There's, you know, rumors about why that occurred essentially some, <sighs> some coach, uh, some coach wanted to hang on the coattails and, yeah. and join the party wherever he went. So I, I, I heard that that was just a fallout between the relationship, but generally a lot of the talent is leaving the state because of the way the MHSAA is handled just the state of Michigan basketball, which they're way behind the times. They need a shot clock. They need to allow teams to be able to play outside of state and to play some national presences. Um, I, I would lean more towards him, maybe even trying to find another school to go to. Obviously you saw Michigan state kind of help Jaden Akins mm-hmm. find a home at sunrise. That's not something that I would say is out of the question for Braylon green. My guess is if his desire is to play prep basketball and Michigan state feels pretty good about this commitment, which I know you put the crystal ball in. I think we both feel like, you know, Michigan state's in the driver's seat in this one and short of them, you know, somehow getting drunk and falling out behind the wheel that they should be able to close this maybe even earlier than we thought, you know, a, a commitment from Braylon green this early in the cycle, which would be almost a year in advance would be a huge, huge boon. I know he slid down some of the recruiting boards recently. I think he was as high as 18 at one time at ESPN. He had shoulder injury and he didn't play for much of the summer. And so I think the evaluation of other guys had them moving up and they didn't quite know what to do with him. To me, he is kind of like a top 40 guy, almost a fringe five-star when he's healthy and he's all put together just because of how explosive he is, because of his ability to shoot off the dribble. He plays great defense. You know, he almost reminds me a little bit of Jaden Akins. And rather than being, you know, a little bit more quick twitchy and like laterally quick, he's a guy that's a little bit more vertically explosive and maybe a little more physical around the rim. But in terms of what he can bring you in in shot creation, I think that they have very similar uh, styles of play. He's a guy that I, I always have had as number one on the target board. If Michigan State can land him this early in the cycle, I think, again, that just speaks to maybe getting some juice, whether it's from the football program or just Izzo trying to find a little bit more of that mojo after the Kohler commitment. I think it would be a really, really, really big land. And uh, perhaps you're right. Maybe he is still local, and that's something that Michigan State behind the scenes can ensure, you know, as part of just helping him out to find him a good home for his high school uh, season. Yeah, I know um, if he is to commit soon, 
he would immediately start recruiting Jeremy Fears, uh, who those two guys have become close with their shared interests in Michigan State. Um, they're, they last took an official, or sorry, an unofficial visit together on the same weekend for the Nebraska game. And um, this is total speculation, but Fears is also close. Uh, he's in the area. He's at La Lu, La Lumiere. So I don't know, maybe, maybe La Lumiere, depending on what their roster looks like, could be a spot. But again, I, that could be total nonsense, just throwing it out there. But yeah, the, those two guys, uh, I could see Braylon committing soon and getting on Fears hard and, and then Fears committing a short while after that. So uh, ridiculous wanna... pairing if they do it. Maybe oh, yeah. one of my favorite one-two combinations outside of Aikens and Christie that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Jeremy Fears is a complete point guard package and to have like an off ball downhill scoring menace to play next to him. Like I I think that what you've seen a little bit is a shift in Michigan state's philosophy in this article that I'm writing about Braylon green, just breaking down some of his game and showing some film. I kind of addressed it. If you're looking at what happened last season where they didn't have a single primary ball handler, Aaron Henry kind of had to fill a role that was outside of his comfort zone. Well, he goes out and he gets Tyson Walker in the transfer portal, which you got to give him credit for after you mocked him and said he doesn't like to use it. Uh, (laughs) He goes out and gets Trey Holloman, who's a point guard who I can think can defend and maybe play off ball as well. And then obviously you have A.J. Hogard in the mix. You had brought in Jaden Akins, who's a combo guard, a guy that can play on or off the ball. If you land Braylon Green, if you then go out and get a Jeremy Fears, like I think that this team is starting to load up on ball handlers the way of where college basketball is going. All you had to do was watch Gonzaga versus Baylor in the national championship game last year. You know, you have uh, Devion Mitchell and you have uh, Jared Butler for uh, Baylor, who both were high volume scoring guys that also had above four assists per game. And then on the flip side for Gonzaga, they had three guys that essentially could have played point guard and all three had, I think four or five assists for the top two guys. And then the third one had maybe right around three. So they're playing these three guard lineups, these two guard lineups where either guy could really be the point guard. Well, Michigan state is starting to form a roster where they're going to have like four or five guards where you can sub out these rotations of guys with multiple ball handling skills, guys that can score at multiple levels. I think it's really exciting when you look towards the future of how these rosters are being built. It's kind of attuned to where college basketball is headed. And it's nice to see Izzo kind of following some of that curve. So I guess DK, you look at the big 10 as a whole um, much more thoroughly than Corey and I. So why don't you give us your projected top three in the big 10 when the season ends? I think the three best teams in some combination are Purdue, Michigan, and Illinois. I just think that if you're looking at kind of the spots that are secure, you need a primary ball handling guard that can score. Uh, If you look at Illinois, that's obviously Andre Carmelo, and you pair him with Kofi Coburn. You surround him with shooters. That's a pretty good one-five tandem. I think you got to watch out maybe just for his turnovers. He's got to take those down. I saw in the one exhibition game, he had like a triple-double, but one of the one of the columns that he had as part of the triple double was 10 turnovers. (laughs) He's got to limit those or else, you know, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble this season because his usage is going to be so high. If you're looking at Purdue, obviously Jaden Ivey is that guy, a potential all American candidate, a guy that looked really good in the FIBA tournament this summer, explosive. I think he can shoot and be a little bit more efficient than he was last season. Uh, and then you pair him with Trevion Williams or Zach Eady. I, I heard that 
that they started Zach Eady and maybe he's taken the reins from Williams, which is surprising to me given that, you know, he's a sophomore compared to Williams being a senior. But I do think that he just offers just a, such a unique matchup, 7-5. It seems like Purdue is always breeding these guys somehow between Isaac Haas and A.J. Hammonds. Yeah. They just have a center, a seven-footer, and sometimes two on the roster at all points in time. You know, I think that they're going to be really solid. They're an old team. Matt Painter really hasn't been able to get to the promised land and make a Final Four, but he's consistently been good in the Big Ten. I think that maybe this is their season. I probably would have them as the forerunner, particularly with their schedule, which is a little bit more favorable than some of the other teams at the top. And then Michigan, for me, obviously a lot of interchangeable pieces. Um, you know, you lose two NBA wings. You you add Caleb Houston, who is a potential lottery pick. You add Devontae Jones from Coastal Carolina, who – it performed extremely well. The G league was potentially a second round pick and a guy that I think is going to be physically capable of playing at the big 10, right from the get go. It'll be curious to see it from a facilitation standpoint, whether he's a guy that can run the offense as well as Mike Smith did last year. I think maybe he's a little bit more of a score. They have a couple question marks. You know, they lost three 40% shooters on the perimeter. You know, you lose Franz Wagner, who's your best defensive player, but you return Hunter Dickinson. You add a couple all Americans you know, Musa Diabate, Kofi Bufkin, and Caleb Houston. So I think that maybe Michigan has the most upside of any team in the Big Ten. Does it all come together quick enough for them? Their non-conference is a little bit light. Kentucky ended up backing out of the matchup. Besides the UNC game, they don't have like a great challenge. Maybe Seton Hall, I think they get that at home though. Those are the only real two teams that they're going to see in the non-conference for the most part. They should blow through it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just how quickly the youth for that team comes together because their upside is really dependent on it, somewhat similar to Michigan State. So I'd say those three are probably my uh, top three, and I would have Michigan State maybe at four or five. Them and OSU kind of right there at that spot in the second tier along with Indiana and Maryland. Uh, so I guess my top three for Michigan State, who is your leading scorer, the best defensive player on the team, and then overall the team MVP at the end of the year? Put you on the spot here. Okay. Uh, leading scorer, I kind of thought that there's going to be four guys that end up somewhere between 10 and 14 points. After I saw Max Christie, my thought is I said basically early on in the offseason that I thought that if this team's going to reach its peak, he's going to have to be the primary scorer in February. You know, I think it might come down to where he's the primary scorer by, you know, December. I think Gabe Brown is going to have nights where he can put up 20 points, but maybe there's some games where he only puts up eight or he puts up six. I think if you're looking to consistency, I would lean towards Christie being the number one guy. Uh, best defender is tough. I think most versatile is going to be Hall. Um I don't know how to answer that because Tyson Walker only plays 20, 25 minutes per game. Maybe he could give you some of that, but he's not playing long enough. Uh, Hall's kind of in the same boat. Would it surprise me if maybe Christie ends up taking a little bit more of that mantle? I know he's going to take a lot of the scoring load, but could he maybe be one of your better wing defenders? Just your all around best two way guy. I think that that's probably the best way to put it. I think that he can reach that. And then you said team MVP, I mean, I guess I would have to continue on and just say it's Christy. Maybe the, the better question would be who's like a dark horse, like X factor for the team. I do think, and I said early on the season that maybe Marcus Bingham would be that if he's not the guy I'm worried about the center position. Um, but I do think Malik Hall can maybe be that guy where he just gives you a little bit of everything. There's some games where maybe he can carry a little bit more of the scoring load than we've given him credit for over the years. 
uh, he's the guy that I think could maybe be a little bit of an X factor for the team as well. Yeah, I think for sure. I think one of the things that you touched on earlier when we were talking about not getting someone from the portal is there's going to be a lot of a lot more clarity and a lot more opportunity for some of the guys that we thought should have played more last year. And I think I, I personally thought that Hall should have played more last year and, and Brown, obviously, and Bingham, Bingham as well. But he some of it was his own doing with not having a motor. And but I still thought he was the team was much better defensively when he was out there. But fact of the matter is a lot of these guys in years past that we felt should have played more. Uh, are going to have that opportunity and they will really have no one to blame but themselves if they don't take the next step. But I think uh, they do as, at least Malik and Gabe, and it's going to be pretty promising to see a lot of these guys uh, have versatile roles and contribute on both sides of the ball and supplementing that with brand new arrivals like Christie and Aikens and Ty Walker I think the team is going to be pretty good. Uh, I, I would say fourth is is good uh, in terms of a projection of where they finish in the conference. Um, if another... I think anything outside of the top yeah. five in the conference would be disappointing. Right. And I, I think agree. that would be a direct result of the center position getting wonky. But go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. I, I would even say that it would be – you would almost need – if they're falling to s- outside of the top six – I would even say that might imply that Ty Walker wasn't everything that I thought he would be because even just a, even just a bad center rotation, I'm still expecting the actual utilization of a real point guard to alone boost the team's offensive and defensive efficiency um, a ton. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm putting too many eggs in the Ty Walker basket but I think that even just having uh, Bingham be a disappointment could to some degree, obviously they won't be winning the league or winning a final four or making a final four, but I do think they could kind of um, weather the storm there with Ty Walker, just being uh, everything that the team was missing last year. But uh, maybe I'm likening him too much to the football Kenneth Walker in terms of how much he'll change the team. <laughs> No, I think that he's going to be a huge factor in the success of this team. They're not going to reach their ceiling unless, in my opinion, he's carved out 25 minutes per game. And he's, you know, he's, uh, if you look at around the, the rest of the league, the guard play is really, you know, questionable across the board. I mean, your top two guards are guys who I think both, I, I want to say maybe Curbelo shot above 40%, but Jane Ivey did not shoot above 40% last year. You know, guys who have some high upside, but also have some question marks. I think Ivy had eight assists, but he turned it over nine times in their first exhibition game. You know, both those guys are a little bit turnover prone. Ivy's not really a primary ball handler. Like those are your top two guards this, this season in the conference. And there's question marks. And then you look at the next tier and there's no reason that Tyson Walker can't be right there with a guy like Devonte Jones. I know Jones is physically probably a little bit more capable of hanging this lead, but in terms of scoring prowess and the ability to shoot off the dribble and, and make decisions in the pick and roll, Tyson Walker could very well finish top three, top four in the conference in assists per game. And I think that for Michigan State to be as good as we think that they possibly could be, he's going to need to be around there. Between him and A.J. Holgard, you know, there's no reason that they can't drop, you know, eight, nine assists between the two of them a game. And then you just hope that there's only a couple turnovers to go with it. If they can limit the turnovers, make good decisions, 
I agree with you. The point guard play, I just kind of expect now. I know it's it's we're, we're not guaranteed, but I kind of expect just from what I've seen it to be so significantly better. But I think the main position that we're going to be complaining about, at least early on in the season, is going to be the center spot. And it's going to feel like all the other positions are kind of at least a little bit solidified. DK, who do you think is winning the national title? Oh, I usually like to make that decision a little bit further along the season. I think teams kind of start separating from the pack. I know that's kind of a cop out. Um, I'm curious to see what Kansas looks like. They're going to be missing Jalen Wilson the first game. He's going to be out with a DUI, I think, for the first three. He's kind of a guy that adds a little different layer to the wing core because he can create for himself. The other two guys, uh, Christian Braun and Ochi Abadje, are more of like set shooter types. So I think losing him, we're not going to get a clear picture of what they are. But they got a transfer point guard, Remy Martin from Arizona State, kind of a similar mold of what we would expect from Tyson Walker. The guy's cat quick, uh, pick and roll decision maker, a guy that can pull up off the dribble. You know, he was the the leading scorer in the Pac-12 back-to-back years, his junior and senior season. He's got a lot to prove. He wants to step into the NBA. I think that he's a guy that could really elevate that team. They're a team that I think I got him like plus 1,600 sometime in the offseason. We talked about it, and you helped me find that plus 20 to 1 bet on Texas. Yeah. Texas is loaded. If you're looking at a team that went out into the portal and just revamped a roster, as Chris Beard is prone to do. He went out and got some dudes. They retained, uh, you know, a veteran backcourt from the Texas roster. And they just upgraded every position. They grabbed Marcus Carr. They got like three power forwards, even though they probably only need one. Like he maximized the roster. And there's maybe no guy that's better in the entire country of taking these odd pieces and making them yep. fit. I think the the one problem he had at Texas Tech was acquiring like the necessary talent to get a national championship. He is going to win a national championship in the next three years. I would be willing to bet a ton of money on that. It could be as soon as this year for me. So those are two teams I'm watching. Obviously, Gonzaga is a front runner. I know Michigan has high odds. I need to see it. I need to see some of the guard play. To me, that backcourt is probably not quite dynamic enough uh, as it sits unless Kobe Bufkin comes into play. Uh, so I would probably lean towards like a Kansas or a Texas, one of those teams that has like decent odds. Um, for some future bets right now. Yeah. The, the only bet I have placed for college basketball season right now is Texas. And I know both of us were scrambling to find the best odds for that on the timeline one day, but like you said, Chris Beard, he at Texas tech, that team that beat Michigan state, they were, a lot of those guys were portal additions and he's a guy that knows what it takes to apply the, the, the Mel Tucker, the Mel Tucker uh, blueprint. So, yeah. Yeah. So he, that's a team that I'm very excited to see this year. And uh, I, I don't know if, if they'll win the title because if they can do it with Jalen Suggs and I don't know if they can do it this year, but I'm excited to see Chet and Hunter Salas play at Gonzaga. Um, not sure how I feel about their national championship odds, but I know they're one of the favorites up there, but I just... think they're number one right now. Oh, are they? Okay. They're up there. Yeah. I mean, the the front court is as good as anywhere in the country. Obviously, you have Chet and you got Drew Timmy coming right. back, an All-American and a guy mm-hmm. that's going to get drafted in, you know, the top three probably this yeah. season. Uh, so the, the front court's there. He's got a nice mix of veterans and some depth. I, I can't remember who he grabbed. He grabbed some veteran from, God, maybe it was Iowa State. Was it Rasir Bolton? 
I think it is. He's played for a while. He got a bucket getter. They needed a guy that could put up some points on the perimeter. Uh, I think is Nemhard still there who yes, played he know, kind of with that core. Yeah, I think I've heard good things about Julian Strother, who was a freshman last year, taking a step and looks pretty solid, uh, kind of a knockdown shooter for them. So they're going to be good. I mean, they play a loaded schedule. I think the one knock over the years earlier on Gonzaga was they were just able to walk through the conference play and it was never a problem. They were gifted a one seed. I think this year they're playing like four teams that are preseason ranked in like the top eight or something like that. It's, it's something super, super high. So we're going to see some early tests and then they're going to enter into conference play and then just kind of have to keep that going. But I think we'll get a decent barometer at least at the beginning of the season for what Gonzaga can give. And one other team that I actually like too, and probably they're ranked a little too high preseason. I would have liked them to be a little lower on the board is UCLA. And I know maybe that outlook for them looks different if they don't go on that hot run in the tournament, but they kind of found the recipe and secret sauce. They add Miles Johnson from Rutgers, the kind of a rim protector guy that they didn't have last season. They add a five-star wing in Peyton Watson. They're a team that brings everybody back, including Juzang, who obviously had a phenomenal uh, you know, run in the tournament next to Jaime Jaquez. Kind of a team that I think I'll, I'll keep an eye out for too, uh, because Mick Cronin, I think, just plays a style that allows you to stay in games. And I think that that's, you know, they got the shot making they need to. Can they get it again this year? We'll have to see with that. Yeah. Corey, anything else you want to ask the resident expert of basketball? Uh, I think he covered everything that I had for him, which yeah. is not a surprise with him. Uh, he's the, <laughs> I've been known to be the, a talker. Yeah, I'm sorry about he, that. He is no, the, no, it's good. He, he's, he's the man when it comes to basketball and getting everybody filled in for sure. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, you guys need to go check out his content for sure. I don't know anyone that does more thorough breakdowns on all the, the key topics that you're probably wondering uh, about Michigan state at any given moment. I know I was one day thinking about just how the point guard minutes would be divided up. And I believe uh, the same day that I was pondering that you wrote thousands of words on it. If I'm not, I did. Yeah. (laughs) So, so there's an article of 4,500 words right now, just with the roster breakdown season expectations. Uh, I broke down some of my thoughts and just the exhibition game generally, but you know, we're going to be doing our best to just trying to pump the content uh, as much as we can during the course of the season on the website, which is SpartanHoops.com. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and check then also, that out. and also give them a follow if you're not already on Twitter. It's yeah. uh, SpartanHoops underscore DK. So if you're not following him, he's definitely the the best uh, basketball follow for everybody that uh, enjoys basketball content. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, for sure. For sure. Anything else, DK? You want to throw out any predictions or any hot takes? No, man. I mean, we're one, one week away from the start of the season and uh, I'm, I'm just ready for it. I'm ready. And I think that this team can surprise some people this year. And maybe it's a team that, you know, February heading into March is a lot more dangerous than maybe they're giving credit for early on in the season. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. It really can't go any worse, knock on wood, than it did last year. <laughs> so it's all, you know, it's all uphill here, basically, in my yeah. opinion, because watching that season twice over was absolutely brutal. So there's a lot of exciting young pieces for this. And I think the fans being back at the Breslin Center, I can't wait to go to a game. I'm going to try to get up maybe as soon as possible, at least for the Louisville game. I think that'll be a, a great ACC Big Ten matchup. So a lot to look forward to. For sure, for sure. And if you guys don't already have the app, uh, download Spotify Greenroom because 
we'll be doing some of those sessions after some games as well this year. So uh, that's how you can catch us talking about MSU Hoops with DK again. And once again, thanks so much for your time. Thank you too. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Go green.